Well, good evening. And please keep that passage open in front of you. You'll see in that most famous of verses that all scripture is God-breathed. Just as my words come to you on the breath of my mouth, this passage comes to us on the breath of God's mouth. Isn't that something? Let's pray. We'd have ears to hear what he has to say. Our great God, that is something that you, almighty God, would stoop to communicate with us, your creatures. But you do. You love us. In Christ we are your children. Please then give us ears to hear what you, our Father, want to teach us now. For the sake of your dear Son, Jesus. Amen. Every now and then, you'll need to distinguish a fake from the genuine article. Sometimes it's, 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 it's pretty easy. I wonder if anyone can... Spot that one. But um, that's a good photo, isn't it? I don't know where I came across that. What about these, though? Well, apparently it's the one on the left that's the fake. You'd need a trained eye to tell, wouldn't you? Now, far more seriously, there is in our world, and even in our city, genuine Christianity... And a kind of type of fake Christianity. And this is really rather more serious. Because true Christian ministry brings people everlasting life. Whereas counterfeit Christianity brings people everlasting death. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 trains us in distinguishing the counterfeit from the genuine article. So that you and I will continue in the real thing. Last week, our focus was on fake Christianity. If you look to verse 5, we're told that people who peddle it have a form of godliness. But Paul's warning is blunt. Have nothing to do with such people. He's saying, watch out for fake Christianity And avoid it. By contrast, verse 10 begins, You, however, and Paul goes on to describe his own pattern of life and ministry, which is the blueprint for God-authorized, true Christian ministry. And here's the crux. Where you and I find this same pattern... In our leaders, in our churches, we find Christianity that has God's stamp of approval. And so we find ministry to stick with. Now, I've summarized Paul's little blueprint for true Christian ministry like this. I'm not sure it's particularly good, but here we go. True Christian ministry is Christ-centered, Christ-like, and cross-shaped. 
And that's what we see in Paul in his first four verses. True Christian ministry is Christ-centered, Christ-like, and cross-shaped. But now let's see if you agree with me. Let's see that blueprint in more detail. First, it is Christ-centered. Paul begins, you, however, know all about my teaching. We know as we read the New Testament that Paul taught the Scriptures. He taught the Word of God. And his focus was the Son of God. It was Christ-centered. He goes on, you know all about my way of life, which was consistent with the Word of God. You know all about my purpose. And Paul's purpose was not to grow his own personal empire, nor did he try to sort out all the problems in the world. No, Paul's purpose was to help bring people salvation in Christ and bring the saved to maturity in Christ. And that is the pattern for us of true Christianity. It is Christ-centered. Lip is one thing. Life is another. True Christian ministry is also Christ-like. So Paul goes on to speak of the Christ-like qualities he displayed of, look down with me, faith, patience, love. And so where there are pastors who are godly, in the way they deal with people, in particular we might say difficult people, as they bring the good news of the Bible to them, well there you have true Christianity. And I mention difficult people because, because the tr- true Christian ministry is opposed. But two true Christian ministers go on in faith, patience and even love for their opponents. You see, It's also true that true Christian ministry is cross-shaped. Look down again, end of verse 10. You, Timothy, know all about my endurance in the face of, verse 11, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Timothy himself was a citizen of this place, Lystra. He'd probably seen Paul stoned by a hostile mob, dragged out of the city, and left in the gutter for dead. That episode is recorded for us in Acts 13. I'm not making it up. I'm not exaggerating. And of course, in that, Paul must have looked like the run to the earth. And it's shameful. And yet notice that endorsement at the end of the verse. The Lord rescued me from from all of these persecutions. And do you see then that the Lord is saying, this way of doing ministry, this has my stamp of approval. It may be hard, uncelebrated, thankless, but it is God-approved. And overall, the picture we're getting here is one of consistency, integrity. Put it together, it's a combination, isn't it, of godly teaching, godly living, godly perseverance through suffering. This is for someone for whom it really is a heart and life and lip thing. I don't know if this is helpful, 
maybe just a little illustration. In Germany, in the 18th century, there was a curious new sort of literature that arose. There was a tree enthusiast. And rather than have books which kind of merely illustrated information about trees, he went one better. He produced books themselves which were fabricated from their subject matter. And so, for example, the volume on the common European beach would be found in the bark of that tree. Inside, it contained samples of beech nuts and seeds. And its pages would literally be its leaves. Do you see this altogether integrated whole? And that kind of consistency, inside and out, is also true of true Christian ministry. True Christian ministers. True ministers are integrated and consistent. They're in Christ and Christ is in them. And, and, and by and large... They're all about seeking to extend Christ's kingdom. That is true for them, by and large, in public and in private, over coffee and at lunch, as well as in the pulpit, with family and with neighbours and with strangers, in, in their communications, in their decisions, in all the different walks of life. There will clearly, of course, be sins, blips, failures, but you can basically say, for authentic ministers, that Christ is their Lord and Saviour, and making him known in his word is their burden. This is true Christianity. But I wonder, is it your idea of true Christianity? Because, you know, in a sense, I mean, it's not exactly very sexy, is it? But it is the real deal. And you and I need to know it. This kind of ministry has God's stamp of approval. It is the ministry that leads people to life. Now you need to know that if you stick with true Christian ministry, brothers and sisters, it is not just the pastor teachers who will be persecuted. So now take a look down at verse 12. The Lord rescued me from all of my persecutions. End of verse 11. In fact... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not exactly the kind of verse you get on your Christian calendar, is it? But the thing is that every Christian is to be about the work of making disciples. That's the commission Jesus gives all his followers. So every godly Christian will face hostility. And, 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 and maybe you know this full well. I mean, it is so easy today, isn't it, to face hostility. You uphold the Bible's t- teaching on sex, marriage, and gender. Or you say that we humans are not basically good, but sinners. We're not all going to heaven. We're facing judgment without Christ. Turning to Christ is the only way to be saved. You can't earn your way to heaven. This is godly ministry. This will be persecuted. Now this idea that we will all be part of persecution, it is a hard message. And yet though this message is tough, the alternative is worse. Verse 13 uh, from 12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving 
and being deceived. And here's that fake Christianity again. Do you know that the most popular sermon on YouTube doesn't mention Jesus? It is a deceptive message. It's given by a man who is deceived, but judging by the play count and the positive comments and the number of likes, the preacher is deceiving countless people. And so for us, the choice is clear. Either stick with true Christian ministry, which brings persecutions but leads to life, or follow some other route, which will only ever be a lie and which will only lead to death. Paul is clear what he wants for his dear son in the faith, Timothy. Take a look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Paul knows that Timothy had settled his gospel convictions some time ago. And now Paul urges him to hold on to those convictions. While false teachers and ungodly hearers tumble deeper and deeper into deception, Timothy's challenge is to continue in the truth. And if you're a Christian minister here this evening, that is the message to you. Continue. Don't move on. Don't move away. Continue in the truth, in the gospel message. And if that's the message for pastor teachers, I think the way that this hits home for the rest of us is this. Stick with those who stick with it. True Christian ministry is Christ-centered, Christ-like and cross-shaped. Stick with those who stick with it. And part of what this will mean is that we are not looking for theological novelty in what's taught at BH. Or, of course, outside. No, What does Paul say in verse 14 to Timothy? Continue in what you've learned and become convinced of. Because where biblical truth is concerned, innovation is deception in disguise. We need ministers who stick with the truth, who bear the embarrassment of being unoriginal, who bear the persecution of holding to the whole Bible, all of its teaching. Stick with such people and then you will continue in the faith. Because, of course, someone becoming a Christian, so far as we can tell, is one thing. But as some of us know only too well, not everyone who apparently turns to Christ continues in Christ. We must continue. Because sin can get a hold of your or my life. We must not think that we're immune to this. And sin in our lives is is not like a a bungee rope. It's like gravity. So it's, not, it's not that you kind of you know, jump off the ledge and drop down into living in some sin and the natural course of things kind of lifts you back up and whenever you want to have a little fling with sin you just go and you jump and oh isn't that a fun adventure. Sin is not like a bungee cord. It automatically pulls you up. It's gravity. 
You jump and you fall. And unless there is a mighty work of God going on in your life to bring you back, you sink. And sin leads to more sin. And many hit rock bottom and they start digging into more sin. We must not be like that. Deceiving and being deceived. I trust many here this evening know the Lord Jesus Christ. You're established, rooted, grounded, confident. Well, you need to continue in it. You need to continue being like a little child before true Christian ministry, before the Word of God. Maybe that description, though, doesn't apply to you. May I urge you to to start with Christ as soon as you possibly can or get growing in Christ and then continue in Christ by continuing with true Christian ministry. That is the key to it. Sticking with ministers who stick with Christ-centered ministry. We can't take such ministry for granted, friends. It is relatively rare sure you're aware of that. It is precious. It is glorious. Let's encourage our faithful ministers in their ministry. There's so many little gripes and moans that we could have. But if you've got a true faithful Christian ministry who, who basically walks in the blueprint of these verses, you've got a gem. And I know that you've got a few of them up here. Help your ministers. Be the kind of true Christian ministers painted in this passage. Encourage them on. Now to work out how we might encourage our ministers on and to to give a word to, to the ministers here, Paul gives three three encouragements to stick with this kind of ministry. It is hard. He talks so much about the persecutions and everyone who lives a godly life being persecuted. We need all the encouragement we can get. And so, let's just walk through these. Here's the first encouragement. The Bible is commended by godly teachers we know. That may not make all that much sense right now. I hope it will quite soon. Take a look at verse 14 again. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Now in Timothy's case, he had the Apostle Paul as a model. As someone whose godly character confirmed and commended the gospel. And we've got that model too. Just you know, here in this passage and, and elsewhere. Uh, and that is the kind of model par excellence, you might say. His ministry had Jesus' stamp of approval. Get to know Paul. Imitate him as he imitates Christ. But also, of course, Paul's not the only model, not the only model for Timothy. We read in chapter 1 that Timothy, before Paul, there was his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice who lived out the faith and passed it on to him and their lives commended and confirmed what they passed on. Can you think of people like that for yourself? Maybe from your family. Maybe a friend. Maybe a pastor. Maybe someone from the past. Maybe someone from the present. Fellas, have a hand. Put your, put your hand up if you can think of one person in your life who, who commends, confirms the gospel. It's, when you think of them, you, it makes you want to carry on in Christ. I can think of names come to Brian and Frank and 
names come to mind. If we bring them to mind often, they will spur us on. A man called Samuel Say could think of someone like this for himself. I'm going to read you a decent chunk from an account he wrote about his mother. He writes, Mum was born and raised in a mud house in Ghana. She lost both of her parents when she was young. They tried to force Mum into marriage by punishing her with violence and impossible chores. Still, Mum refused. Mum read a Bible given to her by her mum for strength. Mum was introduced to my father a few years afterward, and they married when she was just 19. My father bruised Mum's heart with other women, and he bruised her face with his hands. She had two children with her husband, including Samuel, and he goes on. Mum organized a Bible study in our home. The Bible study attracted many of our neighbors. It also attracted scorn and slander. Some accused Mum of using the Bible study as a cover for prostitution. They shamed Mum, but Mum is unashamed of the gospel. They pressured her to give up the Bible study. She refused. The Bible study developed into a church plant. Some of the members of the Bible study still go to that church today. Uh, He goes on to talk about how she had to uh, move into a shelter and how she spent most of her time cooking, cleaning for others, but reading her favorite words in the Bible. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Samuel goes on, Mum believed that her present sufferings were not comparable to the glory that will be revealed in her. The shelter wasn't her home. Her home is the house of the Lord. She worked two jobs. He goes on, The the night we checked into the shelter all those years ago, Mum told me to remember her bruised face, She told me to remember all the scars she'd suffered for me. She told me to remember her sacrificial love for me. So I wouldn't forget that God loved me even more than she did. Before I knew God through Jesus Christ, I knew about him through mum. I knew God loved sinners because mum loved me. I knew God was long-suffering because mum suffered long for me. I knew that Jesus, I know that Jesus hungered to satisfy me with his righteousness because mum hungered to feed me. This is the perseverance of mum. This is the power of God. Now he wrote that just, uh, just last year. And so it is that Samuel continues to be encouraged to keep going in Christ as he remembers his dear mum. Does he do see the point here? It's an encouragement to us, isn't it, to keep going in this hard gospel ministry as we remember godly teachers we have known who've done just the same. Having said that, having said that, our deepest confidence won't actually come from Bible people. Our deepest confidence comes from the Bible itself. And here's a second reason then to continue in gospeling, which is this. The Bible fully saves us. The Bible fully saves us. Please take a look down at verse, well, from verse 14. As for you, continue in what you've learned. You know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now this is a wonderful verse about the power of God's word to save people. But of course, The pronoun here is you. Paul is saying, Timothy, have you seen the power of God's word in your own life? Has that word brought you to faith in Christ? Well then, continue in it. Keep hearing its message and trusting it, and you'll be saved. 
For, for some time, I have spent a bit of time alone with God each day, reading the Bible and praying to him. But what I only realized relatively recently is that I needed to make sure that in that time with the Lord, that I saw the gospel of my salvation in the Bible. That that was the foundation for, for my day. And so I needed to see it and, 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 and preach it to myself and pray it in. We need to encourage our ministers to go on in the scriptures which are able to save them. Pray for them in that. Continue in the Bible because the Bible fully saves us. And of course, as we do, as we do, as we do, we'll have an increasing confidence that others can be saved through this Bible message too. And it is true, they really can. A few years ago, I had lunch with George. George is a South Korean. He came to England. He wanted to learn English, so he started reading the Bible. And as he did, instead of giving up at Leviticus, he became a Christian. Now, that is unusual. Often someone is helped by you know, Christians explaining the Bible to them. But either way... The power to save is in the word of the Saviour, in the Scriptures. So I wonder if you would just pause for a moment and think of the person you know who seems least likely to become a Christian. And now please look down and run your eye over the second half of verse 15, inserting their name where the word you appears. So it is that the scriptures were able to make my maybe disinterested work colleague wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures are able to make my comfortable, got-it-all neighbor wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures are able to make even my old bisexual Buddhist university lecturer wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so what should be the strategy for the salvation of friends, family, neighbours, strangers? Here's some good news. God has provided us with all we need. The Bible. Our job is to get people under the sound of the scriptures. And so continue, friends, continue in the Bible because it fully saves us. And then the final encouragement to continue in the Bible is that ministers have here the one tool they need for the work of ministry. Continue in the Bible because the Bible fully equips us. All scripture is God-breathed. The mighty God of the universe is a speaking God. He speaks fully and firmly through the Bible. And so would you consider this? Our attitude to this book is actually our attitude to God. It's not an intriguing thought. So many want to separate the two, the word of God from God. That's a peculiar thing to do. So how precious this book is. Every word from God. And because of that, 
Well, then the word of God does the work of God. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and therefore is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Just see what the Bible does for people, how comprehensive it is. It's useful for teaching, so telling us things we didn't know. Rebuking, exposing errors in my thinking. Correcting, showing me where I'm living in a disobedient way. And training in righteousness, showing me how to be obedient to God. I mean, there's not much left out, is there? And therefore this, this book is the only tool needed for growing disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I first worked in a church in 2005. And in that year, I was part of a team who mainly served the church behind the scenes. And we had a handbook, the church assistant handbook, a 121-page compendium. And it was a lifesaver, going into fine detail about how to do practically everything. What size font should the service sheets be in? Consult the manual. How much milk do we need for a Sunday? It's in the manual. How do I deal with crying children in the creche that, 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 I, that I help in? Consult the manual. What should the answer phone message be? It's in the manual. Who owns the Father Christmas costume? I, you know, kid you not, it was in the manual. The Bible is not a, a holiday guidebook where I, I pick out the bits I like, ignore the bits I don't, and work out the rest myself. The Bible is the comprehensive handbook for the Christian life. It is a story of the Lord Jesus Christ and it shows us how to follow him keep going in him and given its comprehensiveness that is of great relief to the Christian minister because just 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 see how Paul grounds this all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now that title, servant of God or man of God, you see the footnote is a term especially given to those who declare the word of God. And so Paul's message is very good news. In the scriptures, pastor teachers have all we need to thoroughly equip us for the great but daunting task of looking after God's people. Because let me put it this way. There are a wide range of needs in this church as in any church. And I know I'm, I'm on the, the, the email prayer you know, um, list. Some of us will be particularly discouraged at the moment. Some will want to grow as gospelers. Others are struggling with doubt. Others struggling with sin, anger, gossip, drinking, pornography, a broken family perhaps, or a lack of love for Jesus, maybe his people, maybe the lost. Others just need some gospel comfort right now. Others need some big answers to big questions. Others have drifted away from church and we fear away from the Lord Jesus. Some of these, of course, don't come on the emails. (laughs) Well, the good news is that God has provided us with All we need to make a true and lasting difference, his word, the Bible. And so Christian ministers don't need to despair. We have in this book the one tool needed. What we must do is labor to bring the word of God to bear on the lives of those we serve. And what you need to do is to welcome that. 
both publicly and personally. But of course, well, do you sometimes find listening to the Bible uncomfortable? Well, no wonder. Think about it. The Bible teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us. But it's altogether pretty humbling. So hearing the Bible is not always a comfortable experience. It is God getting to grips with us. But comfortable or not, it is just what we need because as God gets to grips with us, we are being made wise for salvation and we are being equipped for the good works of ministry. That is worth making a part of your life, isn't it? And so he then passes to prize are not so much those who are dynamic or funny or vivacious, or extrovert, or well-educated. I'm listing my weaknesses here, or whatever. Prize pastors, who again and again look to bring God's word to bear on our lives. It's really as simple as that. That is the kind of ministry to stick with. People move away from churches for all sorts of silly reasons. To them, they're very reasonable. But they move away from true Christian ministry. Where you find true Christian ministry, stick with it. Stick with it. I don't know how you do with the Rolexes, but when it comes to Christianity, hopefully now you can tell the genuine article from the fake stuff. True Christian ministry, it doesn't make headlines. It doesn't win popularity contests. It's never easy persecutions accompany it. But in God's hands, true Christian ministry grows the kingdom of Christ. True Christian ministry will cause you and I to keep going until the day of Christ. And so let's stick with it and do all you can to help one another stick with it too. Well, let's pray that God would help us to do that. Almighty God, we thank you for those men and women who have ministered Christ faithfully to us and who are doing so right now. Thank you so much for the ministers of this church who by life and lip show that they are true Christian ministers. We praise you. We praise you for many more doing quiet ministry, personally, leading small groups and so on and so forth. We praise you for such people following your blueprint. We praise you for this ministry. We would love to see revival. We would love to see many coming to faith and many growing exponentially in faith. Lord God, Whether or not you choose to grant that, we pray that we would prize and delight in the ministry that will only ever bring about the growth of your kingdom. Help us to do that now. Help us to do that in the decades to come for as long as we have on this earth. We pray this for the sake of your Son. Amen.